Yes, I vote because I feel like as an African-American female, like I want my voice to be heard. And um, conservative values. So I vote very conservative, so I try to vote for candidates that have very conservative viewpoints. Oh, I don't vote anymore now. Why not? Um, just because I don't. Um, I vote because it is our right to vote, and I take it seriously. This is San Diego Decides, a podcast by Voice of San Diego. I'm Sarah Libby, and I'm here with my pal, Ry Rivard. Hey, Sarah Libby. Hey. What is up, Ry Rivard? What's going on, Sarah Libby? So you might remember a couple days ago, we um, had PolitiFest, and it was awesome. Fantastic event. It went great. I'm hugely relieved. Bigly um, relieved. <laughs> bigly Hugely relieved. Um, and you and I did a little show at PolitiFest. We talked about all 17 state ballot measures. The bananas ballot state version. Exactly. Um, so we hope that you were there. But if you were not, then this podcast is for you because we're going to talk about them all over again. And hopefully help you decide uh, how to vote uh, or at least help you inform yourself on how to vote. Yeah. So a couple episodes back, we dropped the big voter guide on the table and we talked about kind of all the elements and how to read through it. This time we're going to get down into the meat of the measures themselves. Um, and we're going to talk about kind of the arguments that the proponents are making and the arguments that the opponents um, are making against them. Um, just to be clear, these aren't necessarily our personal feelings. We're just going to communicate to you some of the arguments for and against. I got a, an angry uh, scold after the PolitiFest panel about how I should be much less biased. Um, so I want to be clear, these aren't necessarily my feelings, although maybe some of them are. You'll never know. And we just divided up who explains and who explains the opposition. Uh, we just sort of ran down the list of ballot measures yeah. and, and divided we up randomly. We, there were no straws involved, but it was basically like drawing straws. Yeah. All right, so there are a lot of them. Let's do it. Let's get into it. Two things you ought to know off the top of the top of the bat. Uh, first, um, there's a major difference uh, in wordage between um, a ballot proposition, which is the state version, and a ballot measure, which is what they call the local versions. This is just to help you be less confused. But if you're more confused by it, that's also understandable. Again, proposition, that's the state ballot measures. Measures are the local uh, ballot measures. And then the other thing is you'll hear... Uh, you've probably heard about the Chargers vote, how many, what percent of the pop population, voting population needs uh, for it to pass. State ballot measures are really simple. It's just a simple majority. Uh, so these would pass or fail uh, based on uh, getting a majority or not. Yeah. So you've probably heard a lot about Measure C, the Chargers Stadium, Measure K, um, November runoff elections. Those are all city wide measures um there are a few county-wide measures that go by the name measure also if you hear the word prop in front of it we're talking about something that the entire state is going to vote on and that's what we're going to focus on today starting with prop 51 so prop 51 is a school construction bond uh, we would be borrowing about nine billion dollars um seven billion dollars of that would go through to k through 12 schools um, and $2 billion uh, would be going to community colleges. Um, the K-12 through schools and the community colleges would both need to prove two things. Uh, one, that they need 
the uh, extra buildings because they're you know getting overcrowded, or that their buildings are over a quarter century old, and and that's uh, they need state money to modernize them. Uh, charter schools, uh, if they're financially sound, uh, qualify for this money. Um, local uh, school districts have to put up some matching funds, um, for the most part which means that uh, if you think this is going to save you a bunch of money because the state's going to pick up the bill for local school construction, that could be true, or it could be true that local school districts are going to have to uh, come to you again and ask for local bonds so that they can come up with the matching money to match the money from this state bond. Um, Mayor Kevin Faulkner has come out for this. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom uh, has come out for this. It would add about $500 million a year to the state's debt burden. Uh, We pay about $2.7 billion now uh, in debt uh, on some old school construction bonds. Uh, We borrowed about $40 billion between 1998 and 2006. you know, so $500 million, uh, we're going to be adding to that. Just to keep it in perspective, the state budget is uh, over $100 billion a year. All right. So you might have heard a lot on the local ballot about building a Chargers stadium. Um, you don't see the word stadium anywhere in this bond measure, but um, I would guess that it's going to build a lot of them. And if we look to San Diego as a guide, um, you guys might have voted um, in the last few years on Prop Z, which was a local school construction bond. And the language um, for Prop Z is almost identical to the language that you're going to see in Prop 51. And the arguments are almost Again, word for word the same. You're going to see words about uh, fixing leaky roofs. You're going to see um, we need this bond to fix asbestos, um, just repair crumbling buildings um, and things like that. Um, what we've seen with what's happened in reality with the proxy money is that now um, those same people are saying, well, asbestos actually isn't really a big deal and is not all that unsafe. And hundreds of millions of dollars have gone to build stadiums. So um, our colleague Ashley McGlone wrote this week, um, she confirmed with the state that yes, this money can go to build stadiums. Um, and actually the people bankrolling the bond, the people um, spending money to get you to vote on it, happen to build stadiums. Um, so there's that. So those are the people um, backing this uh, bond. It wasn't you know politicians who put this on the ballot. It was construction groups. So you mentioned um, a few state figures who are in favor of it. One state figure who is opposed to it is Governor Jerry Brown. Um, and he brought up those matching funds that you mentioned and said that since um, schools have to put up matching funds, he thinks that the wealthiest districts are going to be the ones at the front of the line, so perhaps the ones that need it the least, and he thinks that this measure could deepen school inequality. Proposition 52. This would permanently extend a fee that hospitals pay. And hospitals are actually in favor of that. And you're wondering, why would a hospital want to tax itself? Well, there's a very simple reason. The money would go to uh, Medi-Cal, which is the state version of Medicaid, which is a federally subsidized uh, state-run insurance program um, for low-income Californians, about 13 million low-income Californians. Um, The hospitals are in favor of this because when they put in money, and they're going to be putting in about uh, $4.6 billion uh, if this uh, Proposition 52 passes, um, that money would go into a pot of state money that's then matched by the federal government. And that's the way that uh, Medicaid works across the country. 
you are a state, you put up a dollar. Um, Medicaid will come in and put up a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, depending on what state you are. Um, in California, this four point six billion dollars uh, that the hospitals would be paying into the Medi-Cal fund uh, would be matched by three point five billion uh, from the federal government. So uh, suddenly. Uh, uh, less than five billion gets turned into more than eight billion dollars that we can use uh, to fund, uh, you know, health insurance for low-income Californians. Um, hospitals are in favor of this, uh, and uh, it would extend an already existing fee and make it permanent. So, a vote for Prop Fifty Two is a vote to continue taxing hospitals. Yeah, so the opposition for this one is kind of easy to talk about because there is very little opposition. So one major union, the SEIU, was opposed to it, but it actually switched to neutral this month. I guess some of their um, concerns have been kind of alleviated. Um, the two main opponents are the Libertarian Party of California and a group called Californians for Hospital Accountability. And their arguments are that um, it would actually divert money away from patients and go into more hospital bureaucracy and that there's no guarantee that the money will be spent on health care. Proposition 53 uh, would require future ballot measures um, for any project um, that the state wants to borrow money for if that project's going to uh, cause the state to borrow more than $2 billion. Um, and this is aimed really at two major projects that the state, uh, particularly the Jerry Brown administration, uh, are considering. One is the uh, Twin Tunnels Project which would build an underground, a pair of underground tunnels uh, to convey water from Northern California to Southern California, and then the uh, infamous bullet train, high-speed rail. Um, the uh, proponents, the, the fans of this proposition, Proposition 53, uh, want to make sure that if we're going to borrow a whole bunch of money, $16 billion or so for the Delta tunnels, tens of billions for the, the bullet train, um, that voters across the state uh, get a chance to weigh in. Uh, if you're thinking, oh, you know, just a, a couple of seconds ago, we were talking about uh, borrowing school construction bond uh, money. Uh, this is a different kind of bond right now. Anytime that we borrow money that everybody's obligated to pay uh, in the state of California, everybody in California gets to vote on it. That's why we're, we're voting on school construction bonds, and we have for many years. Uh, this would apply to a different kind of bond uh, that we currently don't have to vote on, which means that Right now, the state can borrow money for things that are known as revenue projects um, without going to voters. Uh, an example, a perfect example, um, is the Bay Bridge up in uh, the San Francisco area. Uh, the state says, you know, look, we don't need to go to voters because we have a plan to pay all this money back. Uh, you know, we're going to build the Bay Bridge. It's going to cost a lot of money, but we're going to put toll booths on it. So we got it taken care of. We don't need to ask voters uh, for money because we think we, we can pay for it. Um, it can pay for itself, um, whereas you know a, a school building can't really pay for itself. Um, this, though, uh, would make sure that that voters get to vote on every big major project where the state's going to borrow two billion dollars or more. Um, and the reason for this is that some people think that uh, maybe maybe the uh, bullet train won't pencil out, uh, and that the Delta tunnels will will need subsidies. So again, a vote for this would be a vote to vote again in the future uh, on major projects. I love it. Voting to vote again. Um, so there is a long list of people and groups that oppose this. Uh, Jerry Brown, the California Democratic Party, uh, locally SANDAG and the Chamber of Commerce oppose it. So that's a pretty diverse group um, of opponents. Um, so their basic argument is that this would force 
the entire state to weigh in on local projects. Um, so there's kind of a local example of, of something like this playing out. If you guys remember the um, saga of the Barrio Logan community plan. So this is something that the community of Barrio Logan spent, you know, 10 years and millions of dollars uh, trying to nail down um, what kind of regulations they wanted for their community. Um, and after all that time and money, they finally came to a consensus and it was considered kind of a, a big victory for that community. Um, um, but it got put to a larger vote and people from all over San Diego got to weigh in um, and they actually shot the plan down. And now Barrio Logan's back to the drawing board. Um, they haven't made any progress after all of that um, because people from Rancho Bernardo and people from, you know, different reaches of, of the city um, who maybe never even go to Barrio Logan got to weigh in on this. And so imagine if San Diego wanted to build its own Bay Bridge or its own big project and people, you know, up in Sutter County um, get to say, no, you don't get to do that, San Diego. The Union Tribune um, has also noted that the the measure itself is is kind of poorly written and doesn't even define what a project is. Um, and then one other uh thing that opponents bring up is that this bill would not exempt emergency repairs. So if there was a big earthquake or a big terrorist attack um, and we needed, you know, billions of dollars um, to repair those things or to to get ourselves out of that, um, this would, again, subject possibly those kinds of projects to a statewide vote before we could um, get to work. All right, Prop 54. We're cruising through these, maybe. Um, so this one's all about legislative transparency. Um, I've been covering Sacramento for a little while now, and the biggest complaint by far that I hear about the way Sacramento works and the way that bills get passed is this thing called gut and amend. And that's when a lawmaker writes a bill, and it's about something, say, overtime, and then right before everyone's going to vote on it, they cut out and scrape out all the language. They gut it, if you will. And then amend it. <laughs> and then they amend it with something totally different. So now it's a bill about gun control. And sometimes this happens in the middle of the night, and sometimes it happens right before um, there's supposed to be a vote on it. So a lot of times lawmakers say they haven't had a chance to read something that they're then going to vote on. Um, so this bill would try to put an end to that, and it would require – that all bills must be posted online for 72 hours before a vote is allowed on them. And the other piece of this is that it would require all legislative meetings to be taped. So um, a lot of meetings that happen in Sacramento are already taped, but this would apply to even meetings that take place out of Sacramento. So if there's some special meeting where they go to hear people in San Francisco or down here in San Diego, um, those would all have to be taped as well um, and made available for people to watch. On VHS? I believe it's online. So it's hard to be as a journalist against transparency, and that's what this bill says it's – or this proposition says it's about. Um, but, you know, right now most bills get a decent amount of review. Um, lawmakers vote on them. We elect lawmakers to vote or not vote on something. So if they're voting on things that they you don't like, you can, uh, you know, throw them out of office. Um, most uh, uh, meetings are already recorded and archived, um, like Sarah mentioned. Um, and there's something weird in this bill um, – which uh, allows uh, uh, 
video from legislative sessions to be used in campaign ads. Right now, there's actually a, a prohibition on that. So it's sort of bizarre that this transparency bill uh, includes this language that would allow for um, deliberations of the legislature to be used in sort of ugly campaign ads. Um, and the final thing is, there's an argument to be made that that giving more t- uh, bills more time to sit around and wait, even if you just changed a comma and suddenly you'd have to wait three days to vote on it, um, actually gives special interests more say over bills um, because they have some time to to rally their troops and lobby uh, against something that they don't like. And, uh, you know, right now, special interests are really the only people that are reading many of these bills anyway, other than the people you elect. Um, so giving them more time to muster their forces could could have um, uh, negative effects while giving yourself more time to read a bill that you weren't going to read anyway might not do anything for you. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, whether good or bad things happen in Sacramento depends on whether you have good or bad legislators up there. Okay, we're on to Prop 55. And to understand Prop 55, you need to understand Prop 30, which was passed a few years ago, um, back in 2012. So Prop 30 was sort of a response to the recession and uh, the huge cuts that schools suffered because of the recession. Um, So this was backed by Jerry Brown. And Prop 30 did two main things. So the first thing it did was it hiked income taxes for the most wealthy. And the second thing it did was a small temporary sales tax hike. So in comes Prop 55, which you're going to vote on now. And Prop 55 seeks to extend one of those pieces, which uh, was the first one, the the income tax hike on individuals. Um, So these are for wealthy people, uh, individuals who make more than $250,000 a year or couples who make more than $500,000 a year. Um, And it would would put those uh, tax hikes in place through 2030. Right now they're supposed to sunset in 2018. So this would make them much less temporary um, than they were uh, sort of advertised in Prop 30. And most of the money would go to help K through 12 schools. Um, about 10% of it, 11% would go to community colleges. And then there's a little bit um, of funds earmarked for some healthcare purposes as well. So it's mostly going to schools and a little bit of um, healthcare needs. So the argument against this is that it extends Prop 30, which was supposed to be temporary. The literal title of uh, Proposition 30 in 2012 was Temporary Taxes to Fund Education, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are supposed to be uh, six-year uh, tax increases. Um, now they want to extend a part of that, those those income tax increases, for another 12 years. Um, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association says – you know, we just need politicians with backbone to cut waste and prioritize our spending, uh, you know, compared to just continuing to borrow money. Because you can imagine uh, that borrowing money for another 12 years, um, in 12 years, we're going to look back and say, well, gosh, we really need this money. We've had it for 18 years now. Uh, and then we're just going to keep extending it indefinitely. Proposition 56. This would increase the tax on a pack of cigarettes and other tobacco products. Uh, right now, there's a 87 cent state tax on a pack of cigarettes. This would increase it by two dollars, so two dollars and 87 cent tax on a pack of cigarettes, plus actually a dollar federal tax. Um, it's supposed to raise somewhere between 1.3 and 1.6 billion. Uh, most of that money would go to Medi-Cal, that uh, program uh, for uh, to provide insurance to low-income Californians that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, some of the money would also go to refill some pots of money um, that are funded by the current tax on tobacco. Um, that's lost a little bit of money uh, because uh, we haven't been taxing e-cigarettes and fewer people have been smoking uh, over the past couple of decades. You know, back in the 80s, 
quarter of the population smoked about now about a tenth of it does. Um, so again, it's just a new tax on tobacco products, taxing for the first time uh, e-cigarettes um, and uh, providing money for uh, uh, low-income people to get insurance. So there are a couple groups uh, statewide, more than a couple actually, that oppose this. Uh, California Republican Party, a lot of taxpayer groups, and then of course tobacco companies. <laughs> they um, they oppose this one. Uh, they spent $55 million opposing it, actually. Um, and their argument uh, is that only 13% of the money, the new money, uh, goes to treat smokers or to stop kids from starting smoking. Um, and they think that if we're going to be raising taxes by this much, that it should go to more of those things. Uh, you can judge for yourself whether you think that's a, a genuine argument of theirs, that they want more money to go to programs to keep people from smoking. Yeah, to keep people from being <laughs> killed by their products that they're selling um but that's their argument so fantastic now i've communicated it to you <laughs> and um there's actually going to be a little bit of money a couple tens of millions in this uh uh from this tax that's going to go to law enforcement uh, because they believe uh that more people are going to start trying to sell cigarettes uh, on the black market so they're going to actually try and crack down on that a little bit too all right prop 57 this one is all about uh criminal sentencing um and it's about uh, it does three main things. The first is that it will grant a parole hearing to nonviolent felons who have served uh, their full sentence for their primary offense. Um, now, I want to stick on this one for a, a second because um, our friend Mayor Kevin Faulkner has come out strongly against Prop 57 and has become like one of the public faces of Prop 57. Um, and one of the things him and other opponents um refer to a lot is that this is an early release measure. So I want to dwell on this parole hearing piece a bit because a parole hearing is not the same as getting released. If anyone's familiar with a hearing, a lot of times that parole gets rejected at a hearing. So um, all that this is doing is giving people a hearing. There's no guarantee that the parole board will release people. In fact, they often do not release people. Second piece of this is that it would give sentence credits for inmates who complete a rehab or certain education programs. And then the third piece of this is kind of a big one as well. It would allow judges to be the ones um, who decide whether somebody is tried as a juvenile or if they're tried as an adult. And right now that decision rests um, with district attorneys. So this would turn it over to judges. And our own district attorney is actually a, a fan of this. She is. So she's actually on the side of uh, Jerry Brown. There's a little strange bedfellows in this one. So Jerry Brown is um, a big backer of this measure. He's kind of pitted against Kevin Faulkner, um, current governor against hopeful wannabe governor, maybe someday. Um, the opposition uh, makes the point that the only way that this relieves prison overcrowding by a lot or saves money by a lot is if you release a lot of people from prison um, and that you're counting on rehabilitation programs to actually work, which, you know, believe what you want about that. And that uh, the definition of nonviolent uh, isn't really covering everybody, uh, that there are some people that could be released under this program uh, that have done things that we would consider violent, like rapes, assault with a deadly weapon. Um, and the uh, opponents of Prop 57 uh, say, you know, we've done a lot to uh, weaken uh, some of the crime laws that may have been too strong at some point, um, but this is uh, taking it a bridge too far. Prop 58, this one is about bilingual education or also multilingual education. 
um, which has been pointed out to me several times. So don't want to anger those folks who want to learn seven languages in one school. Um, so in 1998, California voters passed Prop 227, um, which said all children in California public schools shall be taught English by being taught English. Um, and what that means is that um, unless you sign some sort of special waiver um, and do some paperwork to clear some hurdles, um, most kids in public schools um, will speak only English and education will happen only in English. So if uh, your child speaks primarily Spanish or another language, um, they will be sort of like thrown in, sink or swim um, into classrooms that speak English. Um, so our friend Mario Coran has done a lot of reporting um, and one of his stories was about Sherman Elementary um, here in San Diego, and that is a bilingual program. So the people in that program um, have had to, you know, sign these waivers and go through these hurdles um, to open a bilingual school. And um, that school is doing really well. Test scores um, are higher than in other places of the district that only learn in English. Um, students who speak Spanish are learning English, and students who speak primarily English are learning Spanish. Um, and they uh, do parts of the day in different languages. Um, and so research that has come out since Prop 227 has shown that um, students in these bilingual programs actually perform better a lot of times than students who learn only in English. Some of the other arguments in favor of undoing 227, um, so again, this, this measure would sort of just undo a lot of the provisions of Prop 227 and make bilingual programs easier. Some of the arguments um, are that it makes students more competitive in a multicultural world. Um, it restores local control. So if you want one of these programs in your community, um, you can have one. You're you not can, prohibited exactly. or it's not frustrated by the state ballot measure we passed like 20 years ago. Right. Um, and they also argue that it helps students learn empathy and understanding for other cultures. The opponents uh, tend to, to focus more on um, the belief that uh, people who only speak Spanish are going to end up being shunted into Spanish-only classrooms or spanish almost only classrooms. Uh, Keith Noonan, who is a former superintendent of Oceanside uh, Unified, is one of the uh, opponents of Prop 58, uh, Prop 58, and he worries that uh, particularly Spanish-speaking students will end up in, quote, Spanish-only education ghettos, um, which is something that he believes is going to be a consequence of, of allowing and making it easier to do uh, multilingual education, is really that it's going to uh, reinforce um, the lack of English that some uh, native Spanish speakers uh, have. Uh, so that's that's a major concern um, for him. Senator Joel Anderson is also against this. Okay, Prop 59, this is a fun one because it actually does not do anything. Um, I feel comfortable saying that about a state ballot proposition that we're all voting on. Here we are. We're going to do it anyway. Um, so this one's all about Citizens United, which is the Supreme Court decision um, that allowed, you know, unlimited uh, campaign spending by corporations. And unions, uh, they would love to point out. Yes, unions, sure. Anyone can throw money in. Um, so this is basically if you vote yes on Prop 59, then you're sending a message to lawmakers that you want them to do something at some point to rein in Citizens United doesn't necessarily say what the something has to be. It 
mentions that it could be an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. You're not voting on an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. You're just saying, hey, maybe at some point in the future you could try that because um, we don't like Citizens United and we want everyone to know it. Um, some of the supporters of this are Bernie Sanders. Imagine that. Um, and locally, uh, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez is in favor of Prop 59. And so their main argument is just an argument against Citizens United um, and that it allows corporations to drown out the voices of ordinary citizens and that this is a step toward kind of correcting things. The opposition correctly points out that it really does do nothing um, and also notes that we have elections to elect people that we want to do things. Um, so if you want people like Lorena Gonzalez doing everything they can to reform campaign finance laws, then you should elect more people like Lorena Gonzalez. Um, it's basically a giant taxpayer-funded poll of California voters. Um, and uh, it does, again, absolutely nothing. Okay, Prop 60. So they had to throw in like some spicy ones in the middle to get you to keep reading this insanely long ballot. So Prop 60 is about uh, porn and specifically whether there should be condoms in porn, There, whether there should be condoms required in porn, in fact. So um, that's what it would do. It would require uh, condoms in adult films. And it would also require uh, producers of those films to pay for vaccinations and testing and exams um, of the performers. So the argument in favor of this is that it holds producers accountable for the health of their performers. Um, and they also backers think it might save taxpayer money in terms of um, if performers get STDs, you know, those health care costs can be a drag. So the um, state legislative analyst office has also analyzed this bill um, and said it could increase costs for the state because it would require, um, you know, the state to license and regulate uh, producers. Um, and it also might result in local and state revenue going down if, you know, you're a producer of adult films and you don't want to adhere to these requirements. You could just pack up and film in maybe Nevada or Arizona or anywhere that doesn't have Idaho uh, these would be rules. a great yeah. new place. We'll do for it porn. in Idaho. Yeah, they're not conservative. The um, opposition uh, has a couple of arguments, but one thing, just if you read this, it's just quite bizarre. Uh, there's one provision where it says that condoms don't actually have to be visible, but producers still have to prove that they were worn, which is just, I mean, it's just insane that we're voting on this kind of stuff. Uh, the, one of the big and, and major arguments against this is it uh, turns um, anybody, uh, it allows anybody in the state to bring a uh, complaint against the producers and even perhaps performers in adult films. Uh, if they're watching, any 30 of the 38 million Californians are watching and they're like, my gosh, there wasn't a condom in that scene. I'm going to file a workplace safety complaint. Um, this uh, could create a bonanza for, for lawyers. And uh, uh, some uh, adult uh, film performers uh, like Mia Lee, who's a, a, an actress in, in Hillcrest, who we interviewed a couple of uh, months ago, told us uh, that it could interfere particularly with webcam shows, which is sort of a new trend, I guess, in porn, uh, where uh, people are doing things in their own homes. They're not sort of on a, a movie set. So she said, you know, if I'm doing something in my home, broadcasting on the Internet, um, I could get sued even though I'm doing something consensually in my own home. And, and that really bothered her and, and, and does other adult for pro, pro, film performers. Um, so that those are the arguments, main arguments against it. 
Proposition 61, Bernie Sanders, again, he thinks this is a great idea. Uh, it, Man, Bernie really cares about California. I know. Who doesn't? He did okay. Who he doesn't? did okay here. Yeah. Um, it would require California, uh, when it's buying drugs, to pay no more uh, than the Department of Veterans Affairs pays for drugs. And you think the VA, they're sort of a mess. I've read about them. They're a mess. Uh, they're actually pretty good at buying drugs. They get them some of the cheapest prices of anybody in the country. Um, so the theory here is that if California has to bargain as well as the VA, uh, we're gonna save a bunch of money. We spend about $3.8 billion a year on prescription drugs as a state. There's two ways we spend that money. One is we just buy drugs in bulk, and the other is, again, through Medi-Cal, where uh, you know, someone uh, with a state-funded uh, state insurance program uh, goes to the doctor, gets a prescription, goes to the pharmacy. The state will then uh, reimburse the pharmacy for that person's prescription. But there's all sorts of uh, unintended consequences that Sarah's gonna explain. Yes, yeah, so there's a long list of opponents uh, for this one, and they fall into three main groups. Um, so the first is drug makers. Um, that one's kind of obvious. They don't want to um, have people paying less for their product. And then the other two groups are veterans groups and medical groups. And so veterans and medical groups kind of have the same argument. They think that, you know, if we require um, the state to, to buy drugs at the same discount uh, as veterans get, um, then the drug makers will kind of get around this by just not offering discounts to anyone. And so instead of some people getting cheap drugs, um, everyone will get expensive drugs, um, kind of the exact opposite of what this measure uh, seeks to do. Um, so the other weird piece of this bill has to do with um, the guy backing it. Um, it's this guy, Michael Weinstein, who's a, like an AIDS activist. Um, and he's also the, actually the person behind the porn measure as well. Um, so he wrote both of these bills and is backing both of these bills. So there's a weird pro like provision in Prop 61 that says – if anyone sues over this um, proposition, the state of California not only has to, um, you know, go to court on its behalf, but that it has to pay this guy, Michael Weinstein, to like legally defend this proposition in court, um, which is just a little bizarre. And, you know, opponents argue it's just like a secret boon for this one guy to defend this law. Okay, Prop 62 is an easy one to explain. It is um, maybe not easy to grapple with. Um, it repeals the death penalty. Um, so there's a couple pieces of this. One, no one would get sentenced to death in California ever again. Um, and then the people who are already sentenced to death would be retroactively resentenced um, to life in prison without parole. Again, the arguments for this are pretty straightforward. Um, it would eliminate the possibility of California ever executing an innocent person. Um, and it would eliminate what's a really costly system. So right now, death row prisoners are housed separately from the rest of uh, the prison population. Um, and it costs an enormous amount of money um, to house them. Um, and it's, you know, many people say a very inefficient system. So this would this would get rid of all of that. Yeah, and the debate obviously has been going on for much of human history, um, but the death penalty uh, provides some relief to some families um, that, that want to see um, the ultimate retribution. And it also actually provides leverage for uh, some prosecutors who can extract um, confessions um, from criminals who otherwise uh, wouldn't have much to lose, who, if they're facing the death penalty, actually have something to lose uh, their own lives and uh, may, may confess or may help uh, prosecutors uh, solve other cases. Okay, Prop 63, we're churning through them. 
So uh, Prop 63 is essentially a gun control bill. Um, it, you might more accurately describe it as a bullet control bill. Um, one of the big pieces of it is that it would require background checks for ammo purchases. Um, it requires anyone whose gun is lost or stolen to report it to the police. Um, it would ban military-style magazines. So those are those really high-capacity magazines that have been used in virtually every mass shooting in America, in Orlando, in San Bernardino. Um, it would ban those in the state of California. Um, and it would prevent anyone who's been convicted of stealing a firearm from possessing a firearm. The uh, NRA is against this, as you can imagine, and for obvious reasons. Um, but there's actually some state law enforcement that's against it. They think that this um, just creates uh, more lists because there would be a, a list of people that are authorized to sell ammunition and also uh, a new permit and a new list of people who are authorized to buy ammunition. And uh, some law enforcement uh, associations have said, you know, instead of focusing on lists, which don't always work, think of the terrorist watch list, for instance, uh, it would be better if we just spent our money on actual law enforcement. Prop 64 is another pretty simple one. It uh, authorizes the use of marijuana uh, by anyone over. Talking pot? I'm talking pot. Talking about grass, man? I'm talking about weed. <laughs> um, it, uh, <laughs> it legalizes it in the state of California for anybody 21 and older. Uh, you can grow some at home. Uh, you can smoke some at home. Uh, this is eventually going to bring in, they think, maybe a billion dollars. It could also actually shift where pot is currently grown. Right now, there's sort of a gray market um, in rural northern California. Now, if it's suddenly legalized uh, at a state level, uh, you could see some production shift uh, maybe to San Diego, maybe to other parts of Southern California, because uh, most pot is actually grown in, in greenhouses or hothouses, uh, not outdoors. Um, so there it is. Legalized pot, grass, weed, the wacky stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, the opponents of this, the biggest one is uh, probably California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Um, she's one of the official opponents um, who wrote the opposition um, argument on your ballot. Um, there's a handful of state lawmakers um, who are against it and then a lot of law enforcement groups. Um, so these are their main arguments uh, for why we shouldn't legalize pot across the board. Um, one is that it could result in more highway fatalities, more impaired driving. Um, it would allow pot ads on TV and you might see them with your eyes. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, that would be bad, apparently. Um, it would allow growing near schools and parks. Don't want to grow a plant near a park. Well, it is a, it is a weed. That's very bad. Yeah. Um, we should ban dandelions and whatnot. Um, and it could put small farmers in NorCal out of business. I want to detour for a second because <laughs> I feel like this has to be why this woman came up to me after PolitiFest and said, you shouldn't be so biased. I am not necessarily biased against pot or not banning pot. I don't really have strong feelings either way. I am biased against bad arguments as a journalist. <laughs> Some of these I think are silly. Pot ads on TV, like, my heavens, we can't. We can't have that. I'm, I mean, I think there are probably legitimate arguments to be made against pot. Impaired driving, that's that's something we should be concerned about. But like plants near parks and ads on TV, those are bad arguments. And as a journalist, I am opposed to them. Well, maybe like, you know how alcohol ads on TV, they can show alcohol, but they can't show people consuming it. So maybe they could have just like pictures of plants and joints, but nobody actually smoking it or eating it. 
<laughs> Maybe so. Compromise. We'll find out. Prop 65 is one of the more confusing propositions on the state ballot. Um, it's actually, some say, meant to be confusing. It would not ban plastic bags, um, but it would change who gets the money from bag fees if plastic bags are banned. So Prop 67, which we're going to talk about in a minute, actually bans plastic bags. Prop 65 doesn't actually do anything unless Prop 67 passes and Prop 65 passes and also gets more votes. In that case, it would take a fee that grocers would be allowed to charge um, because right now plastic bags are really cheap, so they just give them away. But in the future, uh, grocers would be able to charge like 10 cents for a paper bag. And they get to keep that money because they're spending more on bags that they give you. Um, Prop 65 would redirect that money, that 10 cents per paper bag, uh, that a grocer can charge you in the future if plastic bags are banned and uh, and put that money into a special and fund for environmental stuff. Okay, so uh, it may shock you to learn that the people behind Prop 65 are plastic bag manufacturers. <gasps> I know. Um, Rye was just clutching his pearls um, just now. You guys couldn't see it, but I assure you that that's what just happened. Um, so $6 million they've pumped into Prop 65. Um, and the argument against it, you know, Rye mentioned, it exists only to confuse you. So a lot of studies have shown that if you put um, multiple measures on a ballot um, that are about the same thing, that people tend to just vote no on all of it. So it's not really that these people care about the fee on paper bags. They just wanted to put something related to plastic bags on the ballot uh, to confuse you so that you'd say, oh, I don't know about all these different plastic bag things. I'm just going to vote no on all of them. So what they really want is for you to vote no on this and also to vote no on Prop 67 because they don't want plastic bags to be banned because they make them for a living and it gives them money. Okay, Prop 66. Um, this is the other death penalty measure. So there are two plastic bag measures and there are two um, death penalty measures. Um, and as Rye sort of just mentioned, um, when they're in direct competition with each other, like these two death penalty measures are, um, even if they both pass, only one can go through um, and that will be the one that gets more votes. So it's possible that people could somehow pass both of these, but whichever has more votes um, will be the one that becomes law. So both the backers of the death penalty, um, the measure that would end the death penalty, and backers of this Prop 66, they agree on one thing, and that's that the system doesn't really work the way it is now. But they propose really radical ways um, of dealing with it really differently. Um, one is to kill no one. The other is to kill more people faster. Exactly. So this one would kill more people faster. I'm sorry that that's a crude way of saying it, but this um, would drastically speed up death penalty appeals. So right now that they can drag on um, for years and also decades. Um, and this would make it so that state appeals um, would have to happen on a five-year clock. Um, and it would change a bunch of procedures to make that happen. One of them is that it would make it so that superior courts um, are the ones hearing uh, habeas appeals. Right now, the state Supreme Court hears those appeals. So it's kind of strange that this would put this back in the courts that issued the death penalty to begin with, um, but they're the ones that would also be hearing the appeal. 
and it drastically expands the pool of the types of lawyers who are allowed to handle death penalty appeals. So right now, you have to have really specific qualifications in order to take on a death penalty appeal. Um, and this would kind of eliminate some of those qualifications and say um, much more lawyers are now eligible um, to handle them. Now, there's a story that came out this week that um, some legal groups are saying there wouldn't exist enough lawyers um, to take these on because they can be really costly, um, they can drag on for years, and there just aren't enough lawyers to handle what Prop 66 is proposing. So keep that in mind. So supporters of Prop 66 um, include several law enforcement groups who would like to see the death penalty sped up, a lot of DAs, um, the California Republican Party, and that includes San Diego's Pete Wilson. So he's a fan of Prop 66. You know, one thing to just keep in mind is that since 1978, uh, California sentenced uh, people found guilty of really heinous crimes. 930 people have been sentenced to death. Um, the state has actually only executed only is maybe the wrong word there. Um, 15 people, uh, 103 people have died in prison over that time. So a lot more people have died waiting on death row than than the state has actually executed. And we haven't executed anybody in several years as a state. Um, the arguments against um, against this proposition uh, are pretty simple. Uh, you know, there's a chance that uh, human justice will go wrong and we'll end up executing a, uh, a guilty person. Or, I'm sorry, an innocent person. And um, that would be the, truly terrible, and it's something that we believe has happened in other states. And I think it's also important to point out that you can still be for the death penalty and not necessarily for this measure. So maybe you think the death penalty is an appropriate thing that should be a tool that we have in the justice system, but you still might not necessarily think that the appeal should be really sped up and that a bunch of lawyers should be able to handle cases that they're maybe not uh, prepared to take on or don't have experience taking on. So that's something to consider as well. Prop 67, the final prop. We've reached the end, my friend. It it actually bans plastic bags. So if you vote for it, you're actually voting to plan, ban plastic bags. Um, we're talking about single-use carry-out plastic bags, the little flimsy ones that they give you at the store. Um, we're not talking about, just rest assured, the green plastic bags in your produce aisle where you can put your like cabbage in them. Those will still be still be there. And then it allows grocers and, and other people that we're using plastic bags uh, to charge a 10 cent fee to provide you with something other than a plastic bag, probably going to be a paper bag. Um, you can still bring your own bags and then you won't pay the fee, right? That's the ultimate goal of this is to get everybody using reusable bags. Um, but just so you know, the 10 cent fee doesn't apply to those tiny little bags that your medicine comes in at the pharmacy. Those won't cost you 10 cents. So again, it just bans plastic bags. Yeah. So again, uh, the opponents of this are plastic bag manufacturers. Um, and their argument is that since you pay 10 cents for the paper bag, if you don't bring your own, um, you're actually creating a new tax. Uh, but unlike other taxes, the money doesn't go to the government to fund other services that you might use. It just goes to stores that are providing you with bags. So you're setting up a new tax is their argument. But you, that's get, a, bad. you get a bag. Yeah, I don't. Again, man, it's not my argument. I really like the like the Whole Foods <laughs> bag is like a great bag for like throwing away stuff. Yeah, paper yeah. bags can be nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we did it. 17 measures. Now, sorry to um, disappoint you too much if you feel like you're an expert. That's good. 
I hope that this was valuable for you, but you also, if you live in the city of San Diego, you still have 14 other measures to learn about. Uh, those are uh, countywide measures and then city measures too. So, um, you know, we're gonna help you get through all of them, but these are the ones that as a California resident that you're gonna be weighing in on. about our favorite things of the week I'll go first so my last favorite thing um had to do with USC football which in the time since then has become quite terrible and has left me emotionally distraught um my alma mater is undefeated good for you good for you bro um, but that's why I want to go to this favorite thing. Oh, you know what I realized is that uh, this is being recorded before the game and will be oh, posted. Oh, I know. You just, you I just, just screwed blew. yourself. I, yeah. You know what's going to happen and you're going to see it. Sorry, Mountaineers. Over. Yeah. Kansas State is going to destroy us is what's going to happen. Anyway. Well, good. So this might help if that's what happens. So my favorite thing is WWE. Um, I've become quite a fan over the last year or so wwe is coming to san diego this week i don't have tickets if anyone out there would like to gift me with tickets i would not say no to you um but it's awesome because one it's hilarious um super entertaining but you don't have any of like the emotional investment that i have with football like i'm not you know distraught when seth rollins wins um my favorite is The New Day and Sasha Banks. They're obviously the best. Not a fan of the Wyatt family. Um, but, you know, it's just all good. It's fun to watch. Those are the guys with the tombstones and stuff? Yeah. Yep. You know, my favorite wrestling memory is one that I can't find, uh, whether it's true or not, but it's WrestleMania 28. And I swear, I thought The Rock came at the end and just, like, destroyed John Cena. But, like, I was looking for it to make sure my memory's not faulty. Uh, and I can't, I can't find if that's what happened. But I remember it so vividly. It's like if I thought, you know that like Dukakis won or something. Maybe it didn't really happen. <laughs> One of my San Diego goals is to see John Cena walking around in PB where he lives. Um, the other one is to befriend Danny Woodhead, and I haven't made progress on either of those, so... Well, I accomplished, again, one of my favorite uh, San Diego goals and objectives. Uh, and it's also this week's favorite thing. It's uh, Tacos El Gordo. It's just a reassuring place in a time of uncertainty in our world. It's a classic. Just you can never go wrong. The Atabato, uh is is fantastic. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of great tacos, but you're always going to get a great taco there and for quite a value. Quite a value. It's a, it's a great place for locals. It's also a great place to take people from out of town because they're just in awe of how much higher our taco game is when you go to Tacos El Gordo. And we'll be back very soon with much more. Thanks for listening.